Good morning. Good morning. It's good to gather at God's call. It is good to worship Him wherever we are. Um, just a couple of announcements as we begin. Uh, Sunday night Bible study. We're planning on starting back up on September 13th at 5 o'clock. We'll meet down in the fellowship hall and maintain our social distancing. Also, women's Bible study will resume the first Wednesday in uh, September and um, doing a study on the book of Colossians, Captivated by Christ. Um, so please see Michelle so we can get books ordered for that. Are there any other announcements? Not our call to worship today comes from Psalm 23, a very familiar but also a very powerful, very comforting psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our God above, we do thank you for the promise in this particular psalm that you are a shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. Your son is that shepherd that you predicted in Ezekiel 34, where you removed the false shepherds out of leadership positions from your people and replaced them with a shepherd who was God, who was your son. And because of that, we have the hope that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we've been called into this house today as preparation for that. As we gather together from different backgrounds and different states, we are reminded that you will gather people from every nation, from every tribe, and from every language to worship you forever, to dwell in your house forever. And so we are here today to worship you without fear because of the work of our Good Shepherd. And so, Lord, today we will offer to you worship through professing what we believe. We will offer worship through song. We will offer worship through the reading and the teaching of your word. And we will offer you worship through our prayer, specifically praying as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are a people who sing. We are a people who have the privilege of singing truth. And we will sing today from Bible song, that green book there before you, number 46. And I'll remind you that as we sing, we sing quietly. It is tough. I understand it is difficult, but I think it is wise at this time. So let us stand and sing Bible song 46, The Lord's My Shepherd.
Please be seated. As we read through God's law in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, we are reminded that it begins and ends with idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not covet. And so let us go before the Lord, take some time to confess silently before him the idolatries in our lives. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of assurance once again from Psalm 23. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 33, God is speaking to his people, talking to them about help that will come to them. And he calls to those who are far away in Isaiah 33, beginning in verse 13. You who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? God answers, he who walks righteously and speaks what is right who rejects gain from extortion and keeps his hands from accepting bribes, who stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. This is the man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. His bread will be supplied and water will not fail him. As Isaiah says later on, the grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time where we contemplate what God has given to us and what we contemplate giving back to him out of worship. And so please take some time to consider how you can worship God through your tithes and your offerings. We have the baskets provided here, or you can continue to mail them in for those that have.
You are the God to whom glory is due, both now and forevermore. And you are the God who has provided for us out of your treasures, out of your storehouse, out of your cattle on a thousand hills. And so, Lord, as part of our stewardship, as part of our worship, we return a portion to you, these tithes, these offerings. May you be glorified above all in what has been given. And may your message be proclaimed both here and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing and take the hymn book. Turn to hymn number 227. How appropriate right now this hymn is. We bear the strain of earthly care. It seems to us that the strain is heavy, and yet we bear it not alone. So let us remain standing and sing from the hymn book number 227. Please be seated. God's people are called together. God's people are called to confess both our sins and what we believe. And so let us confess together from the Apostles' Creed what it is that we believe. So, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, was suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. A couple prayer updates as we go to the Lord in prayer. 
Uh, many of you remember Calvin Rice, who was an interim minister prior to my arrival. His son, Tim, and Tim's son, Campbell. Um, Tim tested positive for the coronavirus, and his son is being tested because of he's exhibiting symptoms. So please pray for Calvin's family. Um, also, Bill Harris had a uh, tumor removed from behind his ear and is going to begin radiation soon. So please keep him in prayer. Um, Katie Ratliff spent a couple nights up in Morgantown for her MS this week. She's back home. She's doing better, but awaiting um, the next step in her treatment and in her recovery. So please continue to pray for her. Um, Amanda uh, Ramirez uh, is ready to have a baby. Um, She thinks she's physically ready to have a baby. She's definitely mentally ready to have a baby. But no, she is pretty close, so be praying for her. Um, Also, Jonathan has surgery coming up a week from this coming Friday. So pray for him and the Pearsons at some surgery on his back. Um, uh, Ivy Grace, is that right? Um, Izzy Izzy Grace, thank you. She's a five-year-old girl that was recently diagnosed with leukemia, so please keep her in your prayers. Also, a young boy by the name of Derek who is going in for some scans on a potential tumor in his eye. Uh, He's three and a half, so please be praying for him also. Um, Roy was supposed to have a appointment this week. I haven't heard back to, to be cleared for his back surgery. And um, Lucas moved to Beckley yesterday and will start his new job, hopefully on Wednesday, depending upon how his meeting with the, the board in Dunbar goes on Monday. So um, please be praying for him in this next step in his journey in his life. Is there anything else? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we are humbled to be in this place of prayer. We consider your creation. And in that creation, as Paul tells us, we see your infinite power. We see your creative power. We see you revealed in the glory of of creation. And as we consider the glory of creation, we should fall to our knees in trembling and in fear as Isaiah did, as John did, as they were both transported to your throne room to see your glory. As we confront your glory, we should be reminded the fact that we are creatures created by you. The fact that we are rebels who have sought our own glory instead of your glory. And because of that, we should cry as Isaiah cried, woe is me, for I am being undone. I am being disintegrated by the holiness of God. And in prayer, we have the opportunity to approach you, to approach that God who is so holy, so glorious, that we deserve to be undone. And yet through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we don't come in fear as a slave who is a slave to sin being punished. But we approach your throne as children before their good, gracious and loving father. Lord, we tremble at your majesty 
We tremble at your glory. We tremble at your holiness. And yet we rest in your goodness and your mercy as your children who have the love of their father showered upon them. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to remember that this is a great privilege, as we discussed earlier today in Sunday school. This is a great privilege to approach you in prayer. Help us not take it for granted. Help help us not take it too lightly. Help us to enjoy and cherish this privilege that we have. We have a lot of requests laid before us today. We have Katie. We have Derek, we have Izzy Grace, we have Amanda, Bill, Tim and Campbell, Jonathan and Lucas and Roy laid before us. And there are so many other requests that we could bring to you that we should bring to you as we think of those we love, as we think of those we care for, as we think of those who need to know the saving power of the gospel. So Lord, help us to humbly bring our requests before you and to seek your will and your glory in them. We know what we ask for in each of these requests, whether it's for healing, whether it's for protection, whether it's through wisdom as they move through life, whether it's through effectiveness of medical treatments or steady hands in surgery. We bring those requests to you, but above all, we ask that you be glorified in these requests. And we pray for these things according to your will, knowing that you answer as you will answer, and you answer in a way that will bring you the most glory. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers in the past and answering them. Thank you for hearing our prayer for salvation. Thank you for hearing our prayers for healing. Thank you for hearing our prayers for relief from living under the strain of worldly care. And Lord, remind us that you will hear and you will answer yet again. Lord, we love you, and we love you because you first loved us, and you showed that love by sending your Son to die for us, and then sending your Spirit into our hearts to regenerate us so that we might stand before you adopted as children and heirs of the glories that Christ has purchased for us. And so we approach your throne, we approach you in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Proverbs. Uh, We are in Proverbs chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. As we do go through the book of Proverbs, these sections, we will take small sections. We'll take larger sections as we go. There is a rhyme. There is a reason to the different sizes of sections that I take. Um, But uh, uh, please be encouraged as we go through this that God reveals his glory as well as his wisdom in these passages. So please read with me from the book of Proverbs, beginning 11, verse 1. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. When pride comes, then disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless makes a straight way for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, 
but the faithful are trapped by evil desires. When a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. The righteous man is rescued from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. Let us pray. Lord, we approach you today in this prayer of illumination, seeking your light upon your word. We cannot see your glory. We cannot understand the sanctifying and purifying power of your word apart from the fact that you open our eyes to it. And so that is what I ask today. Open our eyes so that we may see your glory. Open our ears so that we might hear the direction that you give to us so that we might be more holy before you, being holy as you are. And Lord, open my mouth. I'm a broken vessel trying to carry a message of glory without losing too much of it in my brokenness. Speak through me today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we mentioned, as we've moved into this uh, second part of the book of Proverbs, uh, that Solomon is going to circle back around on certain subjects as he goes through. Uh, That is not because he's got nothing better to talk about, but that's how we learn is through the cycle of repetition is coming back around. And as he comes back around to these things, he focuses on a little bit different facets of the subjects which he which he talks about. And today we're going to circle back around to wealth and our attitude toward wealth. Just a reminder, wealth and prosperity in the Old Testament doesn't mean abundance. It typically means enough. Sometimes God blesses with abundance, but God promises to bless with enough. And so when Solomon talks about prosperity, that's what he's talking about here. Now, Solomon is talking to his son about the attitudes that the son should have toward wealth as king. He's going to reference scales as the foundation of commerce in an agricultural society. He's reminding his son that wisdom comes with righteousness And it reminds him that there's a relationship between community and wealth. How Rehoboam gets his wealth is going to affect the community and how he treats the community is going to affect the way he acquires and uses his wealth. We do know from the scriptures that when Solomon dies and Rehoboam takes the throne, he has an opportunity to treat the community with integrity and with grace to reduce their tax burden, to reduce their slave labor burden. And he could prioritize either the community or he could prioritize wealth. And Rehoboam decides to prioritize wealth and power over the community and he loses the majority of the community, which affects his wealth as well. Now, it's highly unlikely that you and I will ever be monarchs. None of us are going to be kings and queens of anything more than our own little minds. But we will attempt to accumulate some level of wealth in our lifetime. We'll work, we will save, we will spend, seeking the freedom to retire, seeking the freedom to travel or to do whatever legal, God-glorifying things that God has for us in our retirement And like Rehoboam, we do not pursue that wealth in isolation. We use and accumulate our wealth in community, whether the community of a family or a church or a neighborhood or a country. We live and relate in community. And God takes that and our wealth very seriously. 
And so today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see how God, through Solomon, teaches us that we should pursue wealth with humility, with integrity, and with the future in mind. First, pursuing wealth with humility. In verse 2, we have these words, when pride comes, then disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And this should connect us back to chapter 10, verse 1, where it says that a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. We have this relationship between wisdom and joy and folly or foolishness and disgrace. And we see this reflected in chapter 2, verse 11. With pride comes disgrace. Pride is that puffing up, that building up of ourselves to show that we are far more important than actually we really are. I am somebody and you will treat me like I am somebody is what pride says. Rehoboam suffered from pride because when he, the people came to him and said, lower our tax burden, lower our service burden. He says, I'm going to show them how much more powerful and how smart, much more smarter I am than my father was. It was a bold boast, was it not? Considering Solomon was given wisdom directly from God. And we have no account of that other than the book of Proverbs being given to Rehoboam. So for him to claim that he was going to be smarter and more powerful and more wealthy than his father ever was, was a proud boast. What comes with pride, though? Disgrace. In chapter 16 of the book of Proverbs, what are we told? With pride comes a fall comes destruction. And so pride is the disgrace, not upon the parents, but upon the person who is proud. And the joy that comes with humility is wisdom or righteousness, as is used later on in the particular proverb. What does what does humility and righteousness have to do with wealth? Well, righteousness is not always what we assume or what we think of as 21st century American Christians is not always what we think righteousness is. When we hear the word righteous or righteousness or any variety of that, we automatically think our legal standing before God and justification, the fact that Jesus' righteousness covers us and God sees us as legally righteous before him. But in the book of Proverbs, righteousness has far more than just a moral or ethical implication or a legal implication. It has to do with community relationships. It has to do with how we treat and exist and live within the community. Bruce Waltke in his in his uh, uh, commentary on Proverbs defines righteousness this way. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves in order to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community in order to advantage themselves. We see this very clearly in the book of Ruth. Elimelech had left the nation of Israel during a time of famine in the time of the judges. He took his wife and his family to Moab. And he settled there so that he could be fed, so that he could provide for his family. And his two sons married Moabite women. Elimelech died, his two sons died, and Naomi was left destitute. And so she decides, she hears the famine is over in Bethlehem, and she decides to go back home. And and her daughter-in-laws follow her for a time. 
And she gets to the border of the nation of Israel and she says, look, I've got nothing for you. I don't have any sons for you to marry. I don't have any hope of even being able to provide food for myself. You're going to be better off to go back home and find husbands, find provision back in Moab. One of the daughter-in-law says, all right, I'll see you later. Ruth says, no, where you live, I will live. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. Where you are buried, I will be buried. So she goes back with her and she meets Boaz. Now, during that time, the law said that whenever you harvested your grain, you left a portion of it in the field so that those who did not have could come along behind you and harvest for themselves and provide for themselves. So Boaz, we know because we're told in the book of Ruth, disadvantaged his harvest so that the poor in the country could be advantaged so that they could have the advantage of harvesting for themselves and providing for themselves. Well, he meets Ruth because she is following behind the harvesters and she is picking up these gleanings. She's picking up what's left over. And he sees that she is a good, godly woman as she strives to take care of Naomi, her mother-in-law, whom she really has no binding to other than what her own declaration that Naomi's God would be her God. And things work out to a point where Boaz disadvantages himself once again by marrying Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was cursed and unclean perpetually forever in the nation of Israel because the way her ancestors had treated Boaz's ancestors. It would be like a white man marrying a black woman in the 50s and in the south in the 50s. He disadvantages himself once again so that the community could be advantaged, so that Naomi could be taken care of. And of course, so all of us could be advantaged as well. Because out of his lineage, out of his children came King David and ultimately our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his humility, he disadvantaged himself so that the rest of the community could have the advantage of being cared for, the advantage of being taken care of. We must view our pursuit and use of wealth with humility, being willing to set aside our advantage for the advantage of the community. But we must also pursue wealth with integrity. Verse 3 tells us, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. The word blameless in verse 5 is also linked to that same word for integrity in verse 3. And we see the upright show up again in verse 6. It's the blamelessness that makes a straight way for the righteous. It's the uprightness of the righteous that delivers them. Integrity is what we should seek our wealth in. What is integrity? We read that today in our scripture reading from Isaiah 33. Verse 15, he who walks righteously, he who walks in good standing with both his God and his community, he who speaks what is right, or that word right could also be translated equitable or just. His words are just. His words work for the benefit of justice and righteousness. He who rejects gain from extortion. We don't seek power through bribery. We don't seek money through, through, uh, through extortion. What's the other word for that? 
I forget what it is. Blackmailing. That's the word I was looking for. We don't blackmail other people to take money from them. He keeps his hands from accepting bribes. Not only does he give not only does he not give bribes, he doesn't take bribes. He doesn't listen to evil or murderous plots. He shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. He is upright. He is blameless. He is what we consider to be righteous. And he is fair in his dealings with his with the people. Verse one tells us that God hates unjust scales, but accurate weights are God's delight. During this time in this agricultural society, how would you figure out how much your crops were worth? You weighed them and you had these you had these scales that would balance out and you had certain size stones that told you how much stuff you had. And if you wanted to cheat somebody, you had either heavier or lighter stones, depending upon whether you were buying or selling. You would seek to cheat people. Well, when you live in an agricultural society and the only way to value what you own so that you can barter and trade with other people is the scale that is the foundation of commerce is the foundation of the economy. And if that is dishonest, well, what does that say for your heart? What does that say for the way that you do business? It says that you are a dishonest person. I remember first time I talked to Max, one of the first times I talked to Max Robinson, he was having to buy a new scale for his blueberry farm. He was going to spend a couple hundred dollars on a scale. I'm like, you can go to Walmart and get one for 12. He says, no, it has to be registered and checked by the state to make sure it is accurate, to make sure that it is not dishonest. And the state has to be able to come and check it and tweak it at any time so that it can always be an honest scale. When we pursue wealth, we are supposed to do so in a way that has integrity, in a way that is honest. Because when we do so in a way that is dishonest, the people that are hurt the most are the poor. Oftentimes, when the scales are wrong, When the scales are dishonest, yes, it hurts the wealthy, but not as badly as it disadvantages the poor. If I have a dishonest scale, I would rather it be dishonest in somebody else's favor. But ideally, I want an honest scale that gives me an honest weight and an honest value for what I place on it. God cares for those who are disadvantaged. And we should, once again, disadvantage ourselves in, in our honesty, in seeking our wealth. So we must have humility as we pursue wealth, and we must have integrity as we pursue wealth. But we must also pursue wealth with the future in mind. When God chooses in his sovereignty to bless us with prosperity, to bless us with wealth, what's our temptation? It's to make that prosperity, that wealth, our hope. It's to put our eternal trust in money, in things, instead of in God. Those who pursue wealth through dishonesty, where do you think their hope is? It's in that wealth. Those who pursue wealth through pride, where do you think their hope is? It's in that wealth. One of the great industrialists of the early 20th century was asked, how much money is enough? One more dollar. 
That never gets fulfilled. His hope was in his wealth. And Solomon warns that those who put their hope in their wealth in the day of wrath will find the wealth will let them down. Now, the day of wrath is another phrase like righteousness that we have a concept of in our mind, but we need to step back and see what Solomon meant about the day of wrath before we move forward into what we consider the day of wrath. And literally what Solomon meant by the day of wrath was the day of our death. Death is a very visible symbol of God's judgment against sin in this world. And it's something that we're all going to face at some point in our life. And what Solomon is warning the people here is that when you come to the end of your life, if your hope is in your wealth and your power and the power that your wealth gets you, guess what? It's going to let you down. It's that old little adage, you don't see a U-Haul on a hearse. There is nothing our wealth can do. I read a book several years ago that talks about people at Google, people at Apple, these ultra-wealthy people are investing their money in technologies that will extend life. Whether medically, or even some of them are trying to do so electronically by trying to find a kind of a matrixy kind of way to download your brain into a computer and ultimately get immortality that way. What does Solomon say? No matter how much money they spend on that, it will do them no good. But we do know through greater revelation than what Solomon had that there is a capital D day of wrath that awaits everybody. And our wealth will do us even less good there as we stand before God. Because the wealth we will try to bring in that moment is not the size of our checking account. The wealth we will seek to bring in that moment is our righteous deeds. Oh, look, I gave the guy, you know, sitting at the the intersection at Beckley, I gave him a fiver that will work for food guy. He looked really hungry. Or, you you know, I, I, I gave stuff to people. Yeah, it probably should have gone to the dump, but I gave it to poor people anyway. Look at all these things I did. That's the wealth we're going to present to God on that capital D, Day of Wrath. And what will that get us? Nothing except for hell and eternal damnation. Because the only wealth that counts before God on that Day of Wrath is the wealth given to us of Jesus' righteousness. He perfectly kept all things, all of God's law, perfectly sought God's glory from day one until the end of his life, and even today continues to seek God's glory above all things. When we come to that day of wrath, our wealth will do us no good. Our own righteousness will be worthless Our earthly possessions will be nothing. But for the righteous one, the one who is covered in Christ's righteousness, they will be delivered. Trouble will pass over them. They will be rescued from the trouble of judgment as it comes upon the wicked instead. And we have heard and we will continue to hear a lot of talk over the next few months and weeks about economics and economic policy and whose economic policy is the best. 
And we forget that the word economics basically means household rules. Means how do you govern your house? If we want to see economic policy enacted that truly benefits a society, we must pursue wealth with humility. We must be willing to disadvantage ourselves so that the community can be advantaged. This may mean that we need to sacrifice time or treasures to help those less fortunate than us get on their feet. We may need to sacrifice our comfort and walk into homes and neighborhoods that we wouldn't normally walk into so that people can be helped, so that people can be taught the basics of finances. We must also pursue and use our wealth with integrity. Are we working in an industry that does not violate God's laws? Or his will for the world? Are we working in that industry in such a way that God is glorified in our work? If you're a business owner, are you treating your employees with honor and dignity and giving them a fair wage for hopefully a fair day's work? And if you're retired, how are you using your time and treasure? Are you seeking the good of the community or your own pleasure? So we pursue with humility, we pursue with integrity, and we must always pursue with the future in mind. Where do you place your hope? Is it treasure here on earth or is it treasure in heaven? Who do you serve? Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. You must choose one. Who do you serve? And remember that as you work, as you accumulate, as you spend, as you save... We must do so with the future in mind. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this reminder from Solomon that you intend for us to be provided for on this earth and you have ordained that we are provided for through our work. Work brings you glory. Work is not a curse. Work fights back. That's the curse. But work itself is not a curse. Lord, help us that as we work to accumulate wealth or we work to use the wealth that we have accumulated, help us to remember to do so in humility. A humility that shows itself in integrity and a humility based in the fact that those things will do us no good when the day of wrath comes. And so, Lord, help us to pursue our wealth in a way that honors and glorifies you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn comes from the hymn book, hymn number 130, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. That should be water to our ears, a soothing balm to the pain of living in this world. So let us stand and sing How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds, hymn 130.
As you go this week, take this blessing upon you. The grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be with you all. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.